0: which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the Girls Behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of Hey Jewel. I am. How you feeling? Uh, I'm okay. How are you? (laughs) I just had a really shitty morning. I was really sick this morning, and I have to say, I know I thanked you already, but Julie was so sweet and so good about calming my stress about the episode going up later, because I think probably it will go up on Tuesday morning now, and so I just want to thank you because you really alleviated some of my anxiety this morning.
1: <laughs> well, I'm happy I could do that. I was going to say the same thing for you for dealing with the construction outside my window, so I guess we're even. We just got to get back into a studio. and. Um, I, I will do anything. I, mean, like, I really can't do it anymore.
0: <laughs> so this, I know this isn't even on the outline because it just happened a few minutes before we started recording, but the Real Houses of Beverly Hills trailer was just released. And for anybody who didn't watch it yet, I'm going to put it in the description. So pause this and watch immediately. Isabel and I will talk about it in depth on the Comments by Bravo episode on Friday, but... Julie, we need to just talk about those 10 seconds where Amelia FaceTimes Lisa and you hear her say that she's going somewhere with her friend, Scott, and you then see Kyle and Lisa and the other women talking about it and Kyle saying, you know, he's just too old and he has kids and holy shit.
1: I have a question because to me, that was the craziest thing ever, but obviously I'm not a Bravo watcher. Was this a thing where you were expecting them to talk about it, or at least like you were really, really hoping, or is this something where you just completely forgot about the idea that it could possibly happen on the show and when it came up in the preview, you were like, oh my God.
0: Okay, I personally, I can't speak for other Bravo watchers and I don't know what Isabel would say, but personally, I was really, really hoping it would be covered, but I also felt like if Amelia really didn't want it to, that Lisa would probably respect that. And also, I felt like if there was ever a season for it not to be covered, it would be this one just because of how much is going on one with Erica's legal drama and how much that takes over. And then also there's two new housewives, Kathy Hilton and crystal. So I was like hoping and praying, but I honestly didn't know. So the fact that not only did we get a mention of it, we then got to see the other women react. That was huge.
1: I cannot even explain to you how excited I was to see that. Like all I've ever wanted was Lisa's reaction to this.
0: Well, you have to remember a couple things. First of all, The first time we've seen Lisa even remotely acknowledge the relationship was last week on her Instagram story when she posted a side-by-side of her on vacation wearing a bucket hat and then Scott and Amelia on vacation and Scott wearing a bucket hat. And she made the caption something like, at least we have a mutual love for bucket hats. But that's one thing. And then second of all, you have to remember that Kyle is best friends with Kris Jenner. So her reaction wasn't coming from this malicious place. It was more so like, wait a second, as a mom, I don't like this 19-year-old girl and this 37-year-old guy. He has 3 kids and Ex that he's in love with. Like I think it was just coming from more of a maternal place.
1: Oh yeah, definitely a maternal place and you could tell that. To me it was just so crazy. I think I obviously just wasn't thinking about it because I don't know about I, I don't know about Beverly Hills. I don't know how involved her kids are in the show. Like I don't know how much their plot line. So I just wasn't thinking about this being portrayed in any other way other than potentially on something with the Kardashians. But then I always had a thought in my head where it's like, okay, well, the season's ending. We're never going to see it. I never thought we would get any sort of behind the scenes into the relationship. I forgot that there was another side of the behind the scenes for this.
0: Yes. And the other thing you have to remember is we only saw that one clip and the entire trailer was amazing, which of course Ismael and I will really get into, but we saw this one clip of them reacting. So to me, what that says is it's not just going to be that one thing. Clearly we're going to get an entire Lisa confessional where she says, so my daughter, Amelia is dating Scott Disick. You may know if I'm keeping up with the Kardashians and like, it'll be a whole thing, which like I said, I was hoping and praying for, but my expectations were low because I didn't know how much Amelia would allow Lisa to put out there. Wow.
1: I'm honestly, I'm going to have
0: to watch. Okay hot take. You're going to have to watch for that because you're going to want to, but I really do think that you, like being you yourself, will be interested in the Erica Jane legal drama of it all because that is typically something that entices you.
1: Yeah. I was actually thinking about that as well.
0: It's it's going to be a really good season. This was a phenomenal trailer.
1: I'm really excited. I also, of all of the Housewives franchises, I really only know Beverly Hills.
0: I know. I don't know, you guys. It's a good time to be alive. I can't wait for that to come back. And Isabel and I will talk more in-depthly about that on Friday. But as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a Black-owned business. And this week it's called Oat Cinnamon. It was founded by this woman, Ryan Norville. And she always kind of wanted to be a florist. So she started this business of these beautiful floral arrangements. I will put all of the information in the description. And I mean, I'm a huge proponent of sending people flowers just to brighten their day. And these are the type where I think if you send them to someone, they would really elicit that reaction. So as always, everything will be in the description. Okay, Julie, you ready? I'm ready. Let's start out with part four of Dancing with the Devil, Demi's documentary series, which I know we spoke about last week, how we were so frustrated that it came out on a Tuesday because we basically would have to wait an entire week, but it did not disappoint.
1: Oh, I felt like it did a little bit. (laughs) Oh, you did? I just wanted more information and I understood why she didn't give it to us. Basically, I went into the episode thinking that we were finally to get the full behind the scenes of what happened with her and Max, all of her raw reactions, what her reaction to the Twitter thing was. And I think in an attempt to not give him any further publicity, which I 100% agree with, we didn't get the behind the scenes that we were expecting. So from that side of it, I was a little bit disappointed. The rest of what she spoke about and the rest of the episode, I was not disappointed by. But that one thing I was a little bit let down by.
0: Right. Like what she spoke about was so deep. And obviously I was so interested by that. I guess you're right when I'm thinking about it. My expectation was that there would be more of the Mac stuff. But as I was watching it, I completely agree with you. Based on how he reacted on social media and the way that he really tried to run with this in terms of his fifty minutes of fame, I very much understand her wanting to get into the details of it as minimally as possible.
1: Right. He's somebody where there's absolutely no differentiation between positive and negative attention. He just wants attention. So not giving it to him was by far the better option. Just as a viewer, I was a little bit like, okay, I'm a little upset, but I understand.
0: Right. I guess I just selfishly wanted like, I don't know, vindication on her behalf, but I guess there's nothing she could have said that could have made him look worse than he's already made himself to look, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, it starts out strong with guest appearances from Christina Aguilera, Elton John, Will Ferrell, which didn't you think that was kind of an interesting mix of people? It's not who I would have chosen or not who I would have thought, I guess, to choose.
1: I definitely didn't expect Will Ferrell to pop up, <laughs> but I liked it that they did it in a way with where they were including people That weren't necessarily her inner circle or the group of famous people that you would have expected to be seen talking about her.
0: Yes. And I thought that it was funny when Will Farrell was saying, not funny, but when Will Farrell was saying that after her Grammys performance, that, you know, he watched it and he was so blown away by the vulnerability that she was expressing that he took it upon himself to send her an email, just kind of saying that, saying, you know, I just want you to know you're really having an impact on me. Like it's being felt. And he says, you know, I don't normally send emails like that. And I was just thinking, it's so funny to imagine. Will Ferrell sending an email to Demi Lovato? Like that is was not on my bingo card.
1: Right, that's exactly one of those things where you just couldn't
0: make that up. You couldn't make it up, and you would have never even tried to dream it up.
1: No, definitely not. I also thought the Elton John perspective was a really, really great addition to the episode.
0: Oh, of course, and also, I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but. You know, he talks about it from the perspective of his own sobriety as well, which was one that I don't think any of the other interviewees were really given from that perspective.
1: Right, exactly. I don't believe so either. I mean, they all brought something. I think Christina Aguilar was really able to touch on Demi as a person and a performer. Um, Will Ferrell, obviously, they just, I thought it was a really cute snippet that they included him in. And I thought it would just like added a little levity to the situation, But I thought Elton's was just the most important there because he was really able to understand her and what she was going through from every single perspective. So
0: in terms of Max and the engagement, what was really interesting about this documentary, and I think that was really rare, is it was being filmed throughout this entire situation. So within the course of the documentary, it wasn't like she was solely reflecting on what had happened. You saw her filming herself when she had first gotten engaged and then also talking in the documentary and to the interviewer about the breakup. So it's rare that you're getting that much on film.
1: Yeah, definitely. Also, what my takeaway from this was, was even though we didn't get a ton of information, I did feel like everything we thought about the breakup, what happened, what she was going through, what her reaction was, was all very, very on par.
0: Yes, completely. I mean, just quickly, timeline wise, and I know a lot of you have watched this, but it was on July 24th when she spoke about the engagement when she was videoing herself, and then October 1st when she was talking about the breakup. So there were not a lot of months in between, which is why everything that kind of escalated so quickly in his reaction, I think, was even more exacerbated because it happened in such a short amount of time. But I remember when we were doing the episode, we said, you know, she must be just as floored and just as shell-shocked as the rest of us, because there's no way that if she thought he had this type of ability to gaslight somebody like this and to react in this way that she would have ever been interested enough in him to the point to get engaged. So it clearly showed she was very much shocked like everybody else was at his actions.
1: And that's something she talks about a lot where she says I'm not so much mourning him or like the breakup. She's like, I am just devastated by losing the person that I thought he was.
0: Right. Exactly. And when they were asking her what happened, she says, honestly, I think I rushed into something that I thought I was supposed to do. I realized as time went on that I didn't actually know the person that I was engaged to, which I think clearly is very accurate, but, and correct me if I'm wrong. When they were talking to her parents and her friends about it, I don't think any of them vocalized the fact that they had any concerns at the beginning of the engagement, right?
1: No, they didn't. I think the overwhelming thought was like, okay, this does seem quick, but based on what we know about him and the relationship and the way Demi is, it all kind of makes sense. Like There was, there was no major red flags that anybody was putting up about what was happening.
0: Yeah. And she says also at the end, you know, I think quite honestly, I'm too queer to commit to being married to a man right now. And we see that play out a little bit more as she kind of talks about her self-expression, but I thought that that was the point that I'm sure was really liberating for her to be able to make.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. You're right though. Like if, if I'm being totally honest, I would have died for her to just talk to the camera about it as if she was talking to her friends, like this guy is fucking off and just explaining, but there would have been nothing good that would have come from that. Like I I very much support the decision just selfishly. I would have loved
1: that. Right. It's actually interesting because I'm sure it's something that for her own self and her own feeling healing, she would have wanted to do to like really take us on that journey of beginning to start what happened. But I think it was more important to her that she didn't do that in order to not give him what he wanted, like not to give him any more power, which is a little upsetting where it's like, ah, even in this situation, he's taking away your ability to tell your full truth about it.
0: Right. Although I have to imagine that she has definitely been able to work through this enough to the point where it's not something that she needs to do. I'm sure on some level it would have been a little bit validating, but I think she's spoken through it enough with like, she's a very good group of people around her. So I get it. I really do understand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Me too.
0: This next part, I just want to give a trigger warning for um, eating disorders, but she spoke about, and she spoke about this earlier, how every year for her birthday, she was given a watermelon cake. So it's watermelon with whipped cream on the outside. And just how all of her food was so heavily controlled. And so this year when they went to Palm Springs for her birthday, they had three birthday cakes. And the way that not only her, but really more so the way that her friends were talking about that and what that symbolized for her was very powerful because it was such a liberation and such a moment of like taking the control back in a way that was very profound.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's something they say when they're talking about this trip that they go on. And I think it's her friend who says, when we used to go away with Demi, it was always the understanding, especially on her birthday, that we eat when she eats and there would be no additional snacking. And he and he was saying like, we went away this year and there were three cakes. We indulged, we had the best time. She had never been happier. And it was just such a moment of like, you can clearly see how far, like that is so tangible of how far she has come.
0: Yeah, and I think it's the kind of situation where if you've never struggled with an eating disorder or if you have not been around, you know, been in the presence of somebody that's struggling, it's kind of a hard thing to maybe understand like why having multiple birthday cakes would be such a thing, but it really makes so much sense. And I I think something that really stuck out to me in this documentary was her group of friends, like her very immediate group of friends. I'm not even talking about Max and Scooter and the people that are involved in her life on a professional and of course now personal basis, but I'm talking about really her two to three close, close, close friends and her sister. It's like, there's such an honesty with the way that they are able to communicate their experiences that they've been on with her. And like, I know I said this, I think the first time we ever talked about this, but there must have been a real understanding going into this of like, say whatever you want, be as raw as you want. And I'd rather edit it out on the back end. And so like, I feel like having that understanding just made them so unafraid to speak their minds. And like, we got such a great insight because of that.
1: And I think that comes from the fact that they only have negative things to say, and not even necessarily negative, but things that maybe have the connotation of being negative about their experience. It's nothing about her. They did not have a bad word to say about her as a person. And I think that's something that Demi did in the documentary that really gave them the ability to be so open, Was she kind of took that element of like, quote, shame off the table where it's like, I'm going to open up about my eating disorder. I'm going to open up about the struggles that I went through. I'm going to open up about my sexual assault and the experience there. I'm going to open up about the drugs and the overdose and I'm not going to be ashamed to tell those stories. So once she removed her own element of shame from her story, everyone else that was around her was able to say, okay, if she's not ashamed of it, then we're not going to hold back.
0: Yes. You are so right. I think that not having the shame element just gave them such a free space. And like, what a gift. You know what I mean? What a gift for her to give the people closest to her because like we said, I think it was last speaker week two weeks ago, like, of course, she was the one that experienced the trauma firsthand, but everyone around you and those closest to you go through something as well. And so, like, to be able to just reflect on this as openly and honestly as they all could, what a bonding experience for their friend group. Oh, absolutely, yes. She also discusses the idea of being, quote, California sober, which is basically just having alcohol and weed. And I should give a trigger warning here for addiction. But, you know, they spoke to a lot of different people close to her and everybody had their opinions on this, whether they thought it was right for her or not. I think most people kind of fell under the belief that if this is what she thinks is right for her, we trust her. Elton John, who has been sober for 30 years now, um, you know, does not believe in that. He doesn't believe that moderation works. But there was this one moment that I thought was powerful where the producer asked her, your friends and family say you're the best liar and you've said similar things in the past that you're done with hard drugs. Why is this time different? And she says, the one slip up I ever had with those drugs again, the scariest thing to me was picking up heroin and realizing, wow, this isn't strong enough anymore because what I had done the night I overdosed was fentanyl and that's a whole other beast. Realizing the high I wanted would kill me is what I needed to hear to get me clean for good. I have full faith that you're not going to open up TMZ and see another overdose headline, but I also say this with humility. So it's a very powerful and I'm not going to pretend like I'm invincible.
1: I thought that was probably the most powerful moment in this episode, maybe the whole documentary, honestly.
0: I think so too. I really, really do. I think, you know, we spoke about this last week. Like it's so hard when you're not in the situation to say if the way that somebody is tackling their recovery and their sobriety is quote, right. Like I would just never, ever make that statement. And I know a lot of people have a lot of mixed opinions. Um, I, I think though, something that goes hand in hand with this is how she says, you know, the fact that I now have these people around me where if I'm if my depression is creeping up, if I'm at, in a bad space, not even like I'm going to reach for something, but I just am not in the best headspace. I have people where I can call the th- my therapist, I can call my case manager, I can call Max, Scooter, whoever it is, and just say, hey, heads up, just want to let you know this is what's going on. And I feel like having that layer of insulation, it, it that in itself gives her another level of control that she had previously not had.
1: Right, absolutely. I think that that was such a common trend throughout this entire episode specifically was just that need for balance and control in her own life and kind of understanding the relationship between those two things that she's not going to be able to control everything but if she can find the balance in those things then that gives her that element of control back um but her ability to talk about what she's feeling and saying how exactly what you were saying, when she feels something coming on, even if she's not going to do anything about it, even if she doesn't need to speak it out or talk it through, she can just say, I am feeling depressed. And at least acknowledging those own feelings in that moment is part of her recovery. I also think that a huge question that so many people had watching this documentary, and admittedly so, was what happens if this happens again? And she just came out with this whole documentary where she's... Uh, you know, assuring everybody that isn't going to happen again. And then what if it happens again? And I think something that she said where she was like, addiction is such a powerful disease where she's like, I have full faith that it's not going to happen again, but it's one of those things where it just, you can't understand it until you understand it. And I thought that was answering a lot of people's questions.
0: Yeah. She said, I'm not going to pretend like I'm invincible. And I think that that was a huge thing for her to say. I mean, the fact that she said that entire statement and say, I say that with humility. Right. That like really contextualized how she was feeling on all of it. I don't know. I think the theme of this for me, I mean, there were so many, but it's really true that like nothing good is bred from isolation. And in so many different ways, physical isolation. So the fact that she has people physically around her, but also just like isolation of the mind. And so being able to talk to people when any ounce of that feeling is creeping up. is so important, not just for her, but for everyone, you know, like just having people around you is the most important thing at, really ever. Yeah, absolutely. Two last final things that you spoke about, or I guess three, one, you know, they asked her about her bipolar diagnosis that she shared to the world years ago. And she had said that, you know, when I came out about my diagnosis, I thought I was doing so because it was justifying some of my behaviors. I never thought to give it a second opinion. And she now feels as though she'd been misdiagnosed at the time. Also her new house. And again, how that was such a tangible representation of where she's at in her life and how she feels like it's such a form of self-expression. And then I probably, I think her most powerful form of self-expression was her haircut and just like what that symbolized for her. And when they show the shot of right after her hair was cut and you see her just shaking it back and forth that was such a contagious smile like you felt it just from watching that no
1: oh absolutely you could tell it felt like like a weight was lifted or there was an ounce of freedom and she talks about that like how it was very representative of this new stage of her life and moving forward but also very representative of like shedding these gender norms that she felt was placed on her whole life and it was just it was a decision that she made that was absolutely 100% her own decision and she was able to go through that with that in a way that i think previously under a different team or under a different era in her life she would not have been able to go through with that decision.
0: You're right. It really signified the control thing. That's really what it was. Absolutely, yes. I mean, i just have nothing but great things to say and i i guess i have to say i'm i'm like a c- celebrity docu series enthusiast now
1: it is just the most insightful honest like it's just so good especially when it's a celebrity one then you're adding like a whole other layer there
0: i know and you really see i guess just with this one specifically you just saw insight that i never in my wildest dreams would have expected we would have gotten
1: it was the most honest celebrity documentary or docu-series i had ever seen
0: ever (music) Get warm, rather ready with quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com slash CBC. So, the next thing that we want to talk about, I know this may feel a little bit random, but Holly Madison was on Call Her Daddy, which I don't normally listen, but I have just always been fascinated with Holly Madison ever since Girls Next Door back in 2005. And I never got around to reading her book, which was called Down the Rabbit Hole, Curious Adventures and Cautionary Tales of a Former Playboy Bunny. I still want to read it. I know it's six years old at this point. But when I saw that she was on this podcast and it was really going to be a kind of tell-all, I immediately was fascinated. And I kind of just want to talk about it. I mean, you've always been interested in her as well.
1: Oh, I loved Girls Next Door. I can't even put into words how much I love that show. And the only reason I'm slightly able to is because I know you did as well. And it's funny because I feel like it's something that we've been talking about a lot recently. So when I saw her on Call Her Daddy, I was like, that's the best thing ever.
0: I know. And it was so raw. I mean- there was nothing that was held back, and I know if you read her book, I'm sure some of the stuff was repetitive. I still plan on reading it, but I kind of just wanted to talk about some of the things. So, just for background, she met Hef in 2000, and she moved into the mansion in 2001, and she lived there from 2001 to 2008. So, she was 21 at the time that they met, and he was 75. And there's so much here, and I'm sure I'm sure if you watched the show, you know, you got to witness really the dynamics between her and Hef, and then also her, Bridget, and Kendra. At this point, her and Kendra do not speak, and her and Bridget, as, according to her, have always been close and still do keep in touch. We'll talk about some of Kendra's comments that she made on E! News's Instagram that we had, but we didn't post because I just felt like it was too much to post on the actual page, but I felt like on a podcast, you could give a little bit more context, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: She spoke about a bunch of things. Obviously, we're not going to touch on them all, but I just remember watching The Girls Next Door. And of course, now I realize how flawed that entire situation was. I mean, I realized it years before this, but even in this interview, she said, you know, we were pressured to sign the contracts and we weren't even paid for the first season. It was like really, really not ethical the kind of way that they went about it. But watching the show at the time when you were growing up, Holly, in my opinion, when I was younger, I thought she was the one that they all idolized and she was the quote number one girlfriend and that that was a position that, you know, people killed for. I remember that being my view. I don't know if that was consistent with yours.
1: Yeah, I think I remember that being the case at the time or thinking that I I definitely remember my view of it being that they were all ecstatic to be there. Yes, exactly.
0: Because it seemed as though it was this dream world. I mean, keep in mind, the show came out in 2005. So I was 11 at the time. (laughs) Like, we really had no context of what was going on here. Yeah, I was nine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So to hear the way that she spoke about this number one girlfriend role and how it was actually less than ideal and not something that was widely desired at all, I know she spoke about it in her book, but I just want to read a few quotes that she said on the podcast. Quote, It was horrendous the first three or four years I lived there. Before it was me, Bridget, and Kendra. It was me and six other women, and it would rotate every couple of years. It was really cutthroat. Nobody got along. Everybody tried to snitch on the other. And she said that she actually liked staying in for his movie nights instead of going out like the rest of the girls. And she said that as a result of that, she feels as though the women pushed her into the main girlfriend role when Tina, who was the former number one girlfriend, moved out. She says, nobody wanted it. At first, I was flattered by it. I felt like I was really special. Meanwhile, everybody else had been there long enough to know what the deal was. Then everybody turned on me not long after because Hef realized he could use my good behavior as a comparison for the other girls. Why can't you just behave like Holly? Then they hated me. They were like, let's get this bitch out of here. Which like, again, I know she said about it in her book. I know it's not the first time, but hearing her physically say it after idolizing that entire experience growing up was like really wild.
1: It was wild. And I was just thinking about how I remember watching this when I was young and like way too young to be watching it admittedly. But there was a piece of me that always was so, so curious about the behind the scenes dynamics, like all of it, like who was sleeping with who, how it happened, how often it happened. Like, and it was answers that you kind of got on the show, but you didn't really, especially when you were such a curious kid that wanted to know every single little thing. So this coming out now and her kind of walking us through it, even if it wasn't a positive experience, even if it was a very negative experience for is it, still something that I would have been so unbelievably interested in at 10, 11 years old because all I ever wanted was that influx of information. Right,
0: and... We never had a good grasp when we were watching it as really kids about the dynamic between the three of them. You know, that was not something that we were tuned into. And it was almost too nuanced based on the way that it was projected because the show made it out to be as if they were all best friends. And so, one of the times, you know, when she said that her and Kendra don't speak, and she's kind of alluded to them not having a good relationship, but one of the things that she said was like, I'm not trying to make this a slut-shaming thing, but I know Kendra has spoken on the fact that she didn't have sex with Hef before moving in and being one of the girlfriends. And she was like, that's just not the case. You know, you have to have sex with him before moving in. I did as well. And so when E! News posted that photo, and it was a photo of Kendra, Bridget, Holly, and Heff overlaid with a quote she said on the podcast that said, I'm not trying to slut-shame anybody or anything, but nobody ever got asked to move in unless they had slept with him. Kendra commented on it and said, dude, it's 2021. In response to her, but times have changed. I forgive her and have kids to love and focus on. And someone responds, at Kendra, why are you always hating on her? And she says, how am I hating? She's the one out there. I'm all love now, baby. There were a few other interactions that Kendra had in the comment section, but clearly they are so not on the same page.
1: Yeah. And that was something that I don't think there was even... A glimpse of on the show at the time from our perspective. I am sure, though, if we watched it back right now, we would be able to see tension there. I was going to say we should do a rewatch. Isabel watches it like probably two times a year. She she owns all of them on iTunes and she does like a rewatch every so often.
0: It would be really unique to do so with this lens. I think so, too. It's kind of similar to how we do it with Keeping Up
1: even if I didn't have the lens of this situation, the information that we got, the interactions that we know about now, like I think it would still just to watch it with a lens of being older would still be so, so interesting.
0: Yeah. Also, she spoke about, you know, pregnancy because they had really tried and it just, he was just too old. It did not work out. And she said, you know, of course, in retrospect, she's so grateful that it didn't happen. But at the time she was really, fully planning if it had worked out to have a child with him and just to think about the way that that would have altered the course of her life is pretty wild to really try to you know think about
1: oh yeah absolutely it reminds me a lot of chloe saying that um they had tried ivf and she was you know actively working against it working because she knew it just wasn't the right situation for her
0: Holly also said, I want to read this one quote. She goes, when I had first gotten into that situation and something happened in my mind that first night I had sex where I felt like, okay, I did that. I had breached my own boundaries and I wasn't comfortable with it. Now I have to make this situation into something. I almost locked myself into this box. And I think that that's like a really, unfortunately, all too common thought process that happens sometimes with women specifically in situations that are as emotionally abusive and as like deep of a power dynamic as what was happening here because she basically took the shame on herself and was like, okay, well I did that. So now I have to make it into something so that I can forgive myself for what just went down. And like, of course, looking back, she can recognize that that's not a belief system that serves her. But at the time that was her coping mechanism and it's so understandable.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: He was just really, the way she was describing him, um, not that it's shocking by any means, but he was really well-respected among his friends and the people he surrounded himself with. But when it came to women, it was just disgusting. I mean, it was really just very predatory behavior. And she said, you know, he was always really careful about it not being minor. So there was never anybody that was, you know, he was with that was under 18, but as close to 18 as physically possible and just things that he liked sexually that were in her mindset and I mean in mine as well, listening to her talk about it, just creepy and definitely indicative of some level of predatory behavior. And I just I don't know. It's it's one of those topics where like I'm so grossed out yet simultaneously so fascinated. That's exactly it, yes. She said that she really felt at a certain point that living at the mansion really had a Stockholm syndrome effect. You know, on her because she said, I couldn't really imagine a life outside of there. I thought, okay, this is my last stop. I want to have kids. I'm going to try. And she was saying that like, when she realized that they couldn't have kids together, that's when she said, okay, I need to rethink this. It was almost like a death sentence is the way that she described it. And so the, what it took her to actually move out, she said that she wasn't going to cheat. She knew she wasn't going to do that. And so it wasn't until she really had interest in another man that she even left. And you know, it wasn't, it was an easy decision in the sense of like, she knew it was the right thing, but it wasn't an easy thing to do.
1: Right. No, it it definitely wasn't. And her talking about it gave a lot of insight into that decision to leave because I'm sure she spoke about it in the book. It was something that I was very much unfamiliar with the process of.
0: Yeah, I I was as well. And I think um, Alex asked her like, is there anything in the book that you regret? And she's like, no, I don't, you know, regret anything. Those are my experience. She's like, you know, there was this one part when I was talking about some of the women she's like, and the way that I explained it, I think it sounded a little bit catty or a little bit petty. She's like, because I was talking about body image stuff and plastic surgery. And she was like, I was trying to communicate how toxic of an environment it was as it applied to body image and, you know, body dysmorphia and self-perception. She's like, but I think what I ended up doing was making it more of like an attack on women and vanity. And she's like, that's not at all what I meant. But they didn't go into it that deep in this interview. But it's something I always thought about, even watching it when I was growing up. It's just like, what does that do to your body image?
1: See, I don't know if that's something that I necessarily consciously thought of. I was probably, (laughs) I was old enough to be watching it, but too young to be actually considering the ramifications of it, I think. So that's not something that I'd ever thought about. But hearing her say it, it was like such an obvious thing of like, of course, horse that is going to mess with you in so many different ways.
0: Yeah. It was a good listen. I mean, listen, clearly there is something about her that was captivating enough because after she moved out, she had that whole residency in Vegas. I mean, she's working on television projects now. She still maintained public interest. Absolutely. She did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Definitely good listen. And both of us are going to be reading the book. so And doing a little rewatch. Yeah. So feel free to read the book and do a rewatch along with us. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say, generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently, I've been into a new product from Way. It's their Anti-Frizz Cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to dot com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Obviously, everybody is fully aware of this, and I know it happened last week, but we just wanted to quickly touch on it. So of course, as you guys know, Taylor released Fearless, Taylor's version, which was the full re-recording. And as part of it, she released Mr. Perfectly Fine, which was a previously unreleased song from her vault. And it was speculated that the song was about Joe Jonas. So when Sophie Turner posted on her Instagram story that she was listening to it and wrote, it's not not a bop. And then Taylor re that and wrote, forever bending the knee for the queen of the north. That was, like, really, really a pop culture golden moment.
1: An amazing interaction that I was so, so unbelievably upset took place in Instagram stories and not in the comment section. Let me
0: say that I was grateful that it happened at all. Like, I was not expecting Sophie to necessarily comment on it. And then for Taylor to re that, like, that was pretty wild. But that being said, I was like, if you guys could just take it one step further, because could you imagine if we got like a Joe comment on their back and forth interaction?
1: No, that would have been unbelievable. When people like when this happens where celebrities do story responses and keep reposting each other's things instead of just commenting somewhere, it breaks my heart. And the thing is, though, it would have had to be a little bit
0: more in depth than that because it would have had to been on either Sophie or Joe's since you can't comment on Taylor's pictures. Like you can only comment if she's following you and she doesn't follow anybody. So that would have been the worst thing because that would have just been painful for it to be on her grid and to know there wasn't going to be a comment that we would have never been able to post it.
1: Right, that's also true.
0: Right, it's like ideal scenario would have been Sophie posting the song and Taylor commenting what she story. That would have been like, I know we're just fantasizing here just because that would have been our highest performing post I think ever. Right, it really could have been. It would have been. I I think factually it would have been we'll never know because it's a mix of everything it's also a mix of the nostalgia like for a second it takes you back to 2008 you know when joe and taylor were dating which feels like another life but in so many ways it's now kind of having taking on this new life and then of course sophie and joe are such a beloved couple so for her to just be as like chill about it as everybody would have anticipated for her to be and then like they seemingly have this kind of friendship it was just perfection all around
1: yeah i absolutely agree (music)
0: I feel like every single week we come on this podcast and we get to the point of the Kardashian recap, and somehow there is always an escalation of the Courtney and Travis situation. But never in my wildest dreams did I expect that we were going to get a Travis Barker Courtney chest tattoo. And then to take it a step farther, her Instagramming it with her hand. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: No. The social content from them this week alone has been insane. It's the picture of her with the caption from the Ariana Grande lyric, It's the tattoo with her hand, and then it's him captioning a photo of him with the caption, all day I dream about sex with you, and then tagging her in the photo.
0: No, it's Out of control. Like, okay, there's a million things to break down here. I don't even know. I feel like you and I have been really good about not talking about this as much as we normally would have because we were trying really hard to save it. And I just, something is different. Like, is this, Isabel texted us last week and was like, guys, is this gonna be Courtney's husband? We have never once even uttered those words before for somebody not Scott.
1: Honestly, not even for Scott. I really I'm having such a difficult time processing it, not because I feel like I don't want to accept it or I'm not into it. None of those reasons. I'm just having a really hard time processing it because it feels like an overwhelming amount of information and things happening in such a short period of time that my brain hasn't slowed down enough to take it all in. That's how I feel. And it's so funny the reactions that we've gotten from people in our DMs because
0: so many people who are like seriously diehard Courtney and Scott just like we are and are like, guys, I don't know. Something is just transforming me. Like, I think that this is it for her. She has never exuded this much happiness. She's seemingly so in love. And then there are, of course, the people that are not fans of Scott and are like, This is how it always should have been. And then there are the people that still don't really like it, not because they're so indebted to Scott, but more so because they don't really fully see it or they're turned off by the social. For me, I very much understand how people could be turned off by the PDA. And maybe if it was another couple, I would be. I guess I am just loving every second of it.
1: There's such a difference in the way couples do PDA on social media. And it is so couple dependent where... It's not like you can assess the situation and be like, if a couple does this, then they're too PDA and I don't like it. It just is dependent on every single couple with Courtney and Travis. It is such an insight that we've never had before into a couple that is moving so quickly, but also has been friends for so long that the speed of the relationship doesn't feel off-putting. And therefore the insight that they're giving us is both minimal and overwhelming at the same time. And it is the perfect combination, the perfect way to do it that I think only they in this moment could be pulling off. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but I just, I'm obsessed with it. I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: that what it is, is I echo everything that you said. And on top of that, I think Courtney has always had this really playful side and this really sexual side. And so it seems to just be coming out of her so freely and with so much excitement. And like, I think the other thing that we're picking up on is we really are not that familiar with Travis. I mean, we know, of course, he's a music legend, Blink 182. But if we're talking, if we're comparing the two, clearly Courtney is the one that we've had an allegiance to. And so I guess. I guess I view when it comes to Courtney specifically, this is not go for every celebrity. Everybody is different. But when it comes to Courtney, this level of social media action to me would not be happening if it really wasn't like an internal sense of happiness. She doesn't need to be performative with it. She doesn't need it for the fame. There's no need for her to be like that. She was really not this way with a lot of other guys. So it just feels like to me, I guess what I'm envisioning is like she's so excited and so into it on every level, both physical stimulation, mental, sexual, emotional, that she can't even contain it. and She just wants to share it with the world. I don't know if that's accurate, but that is what I get when I see her posts.
1: That's how I feel too. And I think that's something with a lot of couples where it feels performative, even if it's genuine, but there's just something about the way they are doing it, that it, it seems more like compulsive than it is performative. Like she literally just can't control it, which is I can't even explain how happy that makes me for her. And it's so funny because I was saying to you like literally five seconds ago about how like I haven't even had time to process it because there's something new every single week. Like I feel like I'm just getting at the point where I'm like, oh, I think I really like them together. And they're at the point where they're tattooing each other or like they're. Ta- Travis is getting a tattoo for her and it's like, my thoughts can't catch up to their actions. Right. And doesn't that make you
0: wonder also timeline wise when this officially started?
1: Right. Like to me, it kind of, because first of all, Courtney is nothing if not logical. She does not just do things to do them without thinking. Every single thing Courtney does seems very thought through to me. So the way this kind of comes off is like they kept it quiet for a while And they had already progressed to a certain point in their relationship before they went public with it. And now they are kind of reveling in that point where they got serious behind closed doors. But for us, our timeline is so different. So it seems like they got serious within the past couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: I mean, what I wonder also is obviously, as we've spoken about a million times, Travis has had a very close relationship with the family for a while. And I know he had made, you know, a comment a while ago about like having a crush on Kim or something like that. But I wonder if in recent years, there had been that kind of like DL flirtation or something that maybe the family was picking up on. They never acted on it, but it was always there. I need to know, like I need to know how it went from purely platonic to let's explore this potential romance. Was it one night they got drunk and they hooked up? Was it him saying to her, you know what? I'm feeling this way. I want to put myself out on a limb. I don't know if you are, but I'd love to take you to dinner in a different context. Like that to me, out of pretty much anything about this is the element that I would want to know the most about.
1: Me too, because to me also, the best friend to romantic partner- like rom-com trope only happens in rom coms. like, I've never seen that happen in real life. I've never had that play out before my eyes. And now I'm watching that happen. I'm like, I have to know what the actual, logical, real-life turning point that makes that happen is. I mean,
0: (laughs) the only experience I have in my personal life was obviously with my first boyfriend. Best, best, best friends for years. And one night, he was always like kind of into me. I never really was. And one night we just got drunk. So like- I know they're a lot older. They're clearly not 16 years old like we were, but we ended up dating for a lot of years. And I could totally see that being the case. They're hanging out at each other's houses and a couple of drinks start flowing. And then, I don't know, they end up making out.
1: Who knows? Oh my God. I have to know.
0: The thing that's so like crazy is the reason that we initially, when we were organizing how to do the podcasts in general, the reason we put the Kardashian recap at the end was because we recognize the Kardashians are very polarizing. Some people love them or just love talking about them. Some people really hate them and want nothing to do with them. And some people are pretty kind of just neutral. Actually, most people are not really neutral, but some people probably are, but we don't have that same luxury on our Instagram. And so when we posted that one of, um, when we posted that one of her with the braid, the comment section was like really overwhelmingly negative. And I think people were really turned off by the PDA. And like I said, I understand if that's your perspective, I'm not trying to change it. But I think if you've been following the family for a long time, your happiness for what that signals for Courtney probably overrides any like disapproval, quote unquote, that you would have for the PDA. It's hard for me to relate because I'm not one that's bothered by that in general, but I understand some people is just not their thing.
1: I have to say, I've noticed that our comment section is a little uptight when those things happen because they seem to be very turned off by any sort of PDA happening on the timeline.
0: Right. It's not just a Courtney Travis thing.
1: No, it's very weird. Any single time we post something that's like overtly sexual or PDA or a couple that they could be slightly annoyed by or a couple that they're not annoyed by but crosses that boundary from like flirtation to sexual on Instagram our comment section seems to be a little bit more uptight than the average.
0: Yeah. I guess, I don't know if we have a good barometer on it because we so don't care about that.
1: No, I, I couldn't care less about that. And I think that a lot of people enjoy it, but they just don't go out of their way to comment about enjoying it. It's the people who feel negatively that have to go out of their way to like express that negativity, which is always so fucking weird to me. But From the general gauge that I've gotten, both from friends, people I've spoken to, and people who inbox us, and I guess just like normal Twitter conversation, people talking, I think people are really, really on board with this. I think so too.
0: I know some people listening are like, oh, guys, I want to be there so badly and I just can't get there. And that's okay. I definitely struggled with it and you don't have to get there at all. And if you do, it can be on your own terms. I think the people that are having the hardest time with it are two groups. The first is the Courtney and Scott group that maybe even go harder than we do and are like, I don't care about anything else. I just want them together. That's one. And then I think the second are the real Travis Barker fans, you know, Blink-182, Travis Barker for years and years and view the Kardashians in a really negative light and so view this as almost a downgrade for him. I'm not speaking on an attraction level, just like on a... Presence level and who they are and what they bring to the table. Again, that's not clearly our outlook, but I definitely have seen those be probably the two most prominent conversations.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Also, if I had to guess, in terms of Courtney and Scott fans or people who want Courtney and Scott together because that's certainly the overwhelming opinion I see. I don't see a lot of um, other people who dislike them because of the Travis affiliation, not because that doesn't exist, just because the. People that I follow and the people that I talk to are more likely going to lean the other way. But something that happened, I think, is Scott and Amelia dating before the Travis and Courtney coming out and people viewing Scott so negatively because of that really helps a lot of people move on from wanting Courtney and Scott together to being like, okay, this is what she needs because this is a mature man who's going to take care of her.
0: Well, that. I, I think so too. We've seen that so much. And the people that are really talking it out in our DMs, like coming to terms with it themselves and then communicating that to us are like, I don't know, guys. I think that this is Courtney feeling like she is not having to take it all on herself. Like she's finally with a guy that treats her in the way that she needs to be treated, not only from just like a, an emotional perspective, but also just in their own maturity level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for me personally, I think I would have very different feelings about this if Scott wasn't dating Amelia right now. I think I would be far more, I don't want to say upset about them dating, but maybe upset for Scott than I am. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't know, Julie. Like, I just feel as though Scott is not in a good place because he's never, I don't think, had to really confront that reality. And... The flip side of that, which like I know a lot of people probably think is a non-issue at this point, and I may think is a non-issue as well, depending on how deep Courtney and Travis really are, but a very, in my opinion, fair and legitimate response to that is, well, Courtney's never really had to deal with that as the legitimate possibility as well, because I don't think anybody ever thought that Sophia and Scott or Amelia and Scott or any of the other, you know, early 20-year-olds that he has dated are end game. So I do think that there is a group of people that may feel as though we don't know how Courtney would feel until she saw Scott dating someone that she actually viewed as a threat to them potentially getting back together. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Also, the thing we have to remember here is the Scott element of this isn't just something that we've built up in our heads. It's not like we have this idea that Scott's still in love with her and therefore his actions now are a result of the disappointment he feels about Travis and Courtney, the disappointment he feels about this being a serious thing for them, whatever else is going on. It's not like we've built that up in our heads to be some conspiracy theory that we're going on. The previews that we've seen of keeping up with the Kardashians thus far, and a lot of it that we haven't gotten into the episodes yet have all been Scott expressing that in some way or another in that one scene where he says to Courtney, I will marry you right now. And he is dead serious. Like we aren't just making this up to be like a plot that we're holding onto. This is clearly something that Scott feels. So that does add another element to it.
0: Yes. And I think that we were talking about this last week, I believe when we were talking about the Easter and Palm Springs, Aspen and how Scott wasn't there and what kind of went on. And we were saying how like, when you don't get a lot of the information as a follower of pop culture, people start to make up their own theories. And so on one hand, with certain elements of this, we are, just like we were last week. But with the other side of it, it's like you can't even check yourself and be like, no, you know what? We're just putting words in his mouth or we're projecting our feelings onto it. It's like, no, the only reason that, or part of the reason that we all feel this way regarding Corney and Scott is because we have such an intimate knowledge into the way that he feels, which is so rare. I can't think of another celebrity couple this magnitude of fame where we have such a clear picture of what the other one they're not together currently wants. That's
1: crazy, It is. It's wild. Absolutely. I don't know. This is so much. It is a lot, and it is definitely the first time. When I saw that tattoo and I saw her hand there, I was like, this is the first time where I'm like, this could be it. It really – I'm not saying it will be. I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but I can very realistically see this being it for her.
0: I also just want to acknowledge, I know some people were like – well, he has so many tattoos. Like, do you think it's that big of a deal? And it's like, no, realistically, no. I think that he's also had tattoos for Shanna and I believe his previous girlfriend as well. But it still does feel symbolic. And also it's something clearly that Courtney is proud enough of to post.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, no, it's not as big of a thing as if he had never had a tattoo and he decides to get Courtney's name tattoo as his first ever tattoo. That's obviously a completely different circumstance or if he had very few tattoos and decides to do this. Obviously, he is extremely, extremely tatted. But you also have to keep in mind that people who are tatted to that extent, do so because it is a form of self-expression and to be able to mark your body permanently with something, even if you've done it so many times, is still a very big step for that person to do.
0: I know. There was this tweet that went viral from this user at katenick08, K-A-I-T, and they write, Kourtney Kardashian has had one man in shambles for 14 years and another man getting her name tattooed on him within six
1: months. The power, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Best tweet I've seen on the internet so (laughs) far. I know. It's so funny. I'm just so excited for her. (laughs) I am too.
0: We obviously wanted to post this, but there was no real good comment on it. And Courtney and Travis are just so into the whole emoji thing. So at a certain point, it just gets boring. But don't think that we, for a quarter of a second, were not as much in shock as the rest of you because we really, really were.
1: Uh, Beyond so,
0: yes. This was one of those where like, my straight guy friends were sending it to me.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, definitely. You know, mm-hmm. also we
0: just wanted to mention, I'm sure you guys saw this, but Jordan posted the PR box she got from Get Safely, which is Chrissy Teigen and Chris Jenner's new cleaning product brand. And she tagged both Chrissy and Chris in the first story. And like, I know some people would say you're looking too much into it. For me, when I saw that, I just like kind of breathed a sigh of relief in a way just to say like clearly they must be on good enough terms because obviously Kris Jenner is not the one directly sending out the PR boxes however you know that she is way too meticulous to not double check every single person on that list and there's no world in which Jordan Woods would be getting one without her approval so it just makes me think that like on some level they have come to some sort of peace, And not that either of them need it. Like Jordan is clearly thriving. And I think in a lot of ways, her and Kylie's separation was the best thing that ever happened to both of them. But it does make me feel good that there's that level of like civility.
1: I was so interested by her doing that. When I saw that, I was really taken aback actually.
0: But in a really good way, right?
1: Of course. All I want is like peace and understanding between them and PR packages to be sent back and forth. Like that's all I could ever want. It just wasn't the last thing that I was ever expecting.
0: I was too. I, I don't know if this is presumptuous of me and I don't even know if I fully believe this. I'm kind of just processing the thought as it just came to my mind. But like, I wonder if we will see anytime in the near future, any sort of like, actual rekindling between her and kylie again never to the level that they once were but them hanging out and them like posting about it like that is something that really would interest me
1: i don't know and i i honestly don't think it'll ever get to that place i think it's too far gone but that would be my hope i really genuinely would love for them to be friends again more than anything else i think it could get to that point i don't know but we'll see maybe i mean never say never. Because also, I think now
0: that her and Carl anthony Towns are getting so serious, I would be shocked if they aren't engaged in the next year or two. Like, I don't know. That's such a big moment in her life. And I just think sometimes when things like that happen, it can bring people together.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, that would be amazing.
0: I don't know. She's really thriving, though. In so many ways, it was the best thing that ever happened to her.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I I really think so. I mean, I miss their friendship and I want it for them, but only if it's something that they both feel benefits them because what we've seen happen for Jordan and the path that she's currently on is so unbelievably amazing that I couldn't be happier for her. And if that needed to happen for her to be able to go down that path, then obviously we can see a silver lining in that. But if there is a piece of them that's like, I just wish we were friends again, then yeah, I fucking want that for them so badly.
0: Yeah, well, I think my thing is that they've recognized what the space and what the shift has done for both of them. So I feel like if they were to ever have a close friendship again, it wouldn't even be a question that it couldn't go back to how it was. Like it's too far gone in a good way, meaning like they've both evolved separately so much. And specifically Jordan has really come into her own from like a success perspective that I think it's almost like a rekindling is a little bit safer in a way because I don't think there's that risk of that happening again like Jordan has her own ridiculously gorgeous house like she's has a very serious boyfriend she's not moving back in with Kylie that's never gonna happen so I guess I just feel like some like some parameters are in place where I could actually be healthier than it ever was even though at the time I don't think any of them could consciously acknowledge that it was unhealthy
1: right exactly I completely agree
0: last thing we wanted to talk about, which we mentioned in the bonus show, and I know it's kind of calmed down since, but this whole Chloe Kardashian photo situation, and I'm sure everybody's fully caught up, but I do know that there are some people that message us saying they literally follow nothing and they only come to the podcast to be informed. So feel free to fast forward, give me two minutes to explain exactly what happened and read her statement, and then we'll talk about it. But again, if you feel fully caught up and you don't want to know any of that, just fast forward. So basically what had happened was last week, this photo was posted of Chloe at the Palm Springs house in a bathing suit. And apparently it was posted on MJ's private Instagram account. There have been conflicting reports on that because some people said that it was posted by an assistant. I still don't feel confident saying a hundred percent the source of it. Although most reports are pointing to the fact that it was posted on MJ's private Instagram account, which by the way, I didn't even know that she had one. Did you?
1: No, I didn't either. That was like the initial confusing part of the story. So,
0: right after that, requests for this photo to be removed started circulating before Chloe said a word about it. So, TikTok accounts or Twitter accounts or just other news sites that had posted the photo saying, you know, accidental leaked photo of Chloe Kardashian were then getting legal threats by the Kardashians' legal team, which then that in and of itself sparked its own kind of stories. So, Chloe a few days after all of the chaos went on an Instagram live with Kim for literally one minute where Kim held the camera and Chloe stood there in a sweatshirt and sweatpants. And then she kind of lifted up the sweatshirt and pulled down the sweatpants to show that it was her body. I know after the Instagram live happened, there were some videos that people took where you could see that it looked a little glitchy. I didn't know that you could edit an Instagram live like that, but that's what people were claiming, but that happened. And right after she ends the Instagram live, she posts this on her grid. I'm going to read the whole thing again. If you're fully caught up, feel free to fast forward. Hey guys, this is me and my body unretouched and unfiltered. The photo that was posted this week is beautiful, but as someone who has struggled with body image her whole life, when someone takes a photo of you that isn't flattering in bad lighting or doesn't capture your body the way it is after working so hard to get it to this point, and then shares it to the world, you should have every right to ask for it not to be shared, regardless of who you are. In truth, the pressure, constant ridicule, and judgment my entire life to be perfect and to meet other standards of how I should look has been too much to bear quote, Chloe is the fat sister. Chloe is the ugly sister. Her dad must not be her real dad because she looks so different. The only way she could have lost weight has been from the surgery. Should I go on? Oh, but who cares how she feels because she grew up in a life of privilege. She's also on a reality show, so she signed up for all of this. I'm of course not asking for sympathy, but I am asking to be acknowledged for being human. I'm not perfect, but I promise you that I try every day to live my life as honestly as possible and with empathy and kindness. It doesn't mean that I've not made mistakes, but I'm not going to lie, it's almost unbearable trying to live up to the impossible standards that the public have all set for me. For over a decade now in photos, every single flaw and imperfection has been micro-analyzed and made fun of to the smallest detail, and I am reminded of them every day by the world. And when I take that criticism to use as motivation to get myself in the best shape of my life, and to even help others with the same struggles, I'm told I couldn't have done it through hard work and I must have paid for it all. You never quite get used to being judged and pulled apart and told how unattractive one is, but I will say, if you hear anything enough, then you start to believe it. This is an example of how I have been conditioned to feel that I'm not beautiful enough just being me. I love a good filter, good lighting, and an edit here and there, the same way I throw on some makeup, get my nails done, or wear a pair of heels to present myself to the world the way I want to be seen, and it's exactly what I will continue to do unapologetically. My body, my image, and how I choose to look and what I want to share is my choice. It's not for anyone to decide or to judge what is acceptable or not anymore. For those else who feel the constant pressure of not ever feeling perfect enough, I want you to know I see when I understand. Every day I'm told by my family and friends who love me that I'm beautiful, but I know that it needs to be believed from within. We are all unique and perfect in our own way. Whichever one may choose it to be seen. I've realized that we cannot continue to live life trying to fit into the perfect mold of what others have set for us. Just do you and make sure your heart is happy. And she posted that in a slide with... A screen recording of the IG live and also a video. Oh, that was a lot of reading.
1: <laughs> a lot of reading. Good job, kid. So there were a
0: lot of mixed opinions on this, both when the photo was first circulating and then asked to be taken down, and then after she made the statement. And like, I guess I just want to start by saying, whatever you feel about this, you're totally entitled to. I think we all have our opinions. And also, to be honest, I think it's okay if they change. You know, the way that I may feel as I'm saying this may change in a week, in a month doesn't matter. Just, I think it was an interesting topic because it was so much more than just about Chloe, and it kind of really expanded from that. And I obviously have a million thoughts on this, you know, that I talk and think a lot about body image in my own life. But I guess the first thing that I wanted to start by saying before we get into any of it, like the Kardashians impact and, you know, Chloe specifically and stuff is... The first thing that I heard in conversation, not only online, but also in my own life, and to be honest, I was guilty of it initially as well, just thinking it, of people saying, I don't understand why she wanted to be taken down. She didn't even look bad. Which like at first glance seems like a kind thing to say. And you're saying that her quote, natural body, and by natural I mean clearly that photo wasn't heavily edited, is quote good. But I think the issue there that like I personally had to check myself on as well. Is what is that really saying? Because that entire like rhetoric is just rooted in fat phobia. Like, what would it have been if that picture wasn't quote good? What? It looked you could see her cellulite, you could see that her stomach didn't look flat as it looked in that picture, like, and that would be considered bad. Like, I really started to go down this whole kind of thing in my head, and I talked about this with my therapist where I was like, I don't even think that on a very top level, the way that this is being discussed, and I'm not even talking in the media, like, again, yeah, the media, but I'm literally talking about in my own life with just me and my friends, was healthy because I was realizing that what I was deeming to be considered, like, good or, quote, good enough to not ask her to be deleted was completely flawed. Like, that in and of itself is completely hypocritical to the entire message that we're all trying to push here. Yet, I think in a lot of ways, we were trying to be supportive by saying, she looked so good. I don't even understand what was so bad about that. It's like, wait a second, what are we classifying as good? And who are we to decide that? So that was like the first thing, just in terms of my personal evaluation of the situation that I went through. Right. So I wanted to read a few things that I personally, when I was just like processing this found to be useful, because I think a trend that was coming up is like, this isn't really black and white. And this is more of a complex issue because frustration and anger that people may have towards the Kardashians for in a lot of ways perpetuating these standards are also mixed in with a real level of empathy and compassion and like both are valid and both can coexist which is personally how I feel I mean when I saw Chloe's post my initial reaction was kind of just like one of compassion of course then once I started to intellectualize this I very much recognize it's deeper than that but for her to be like mentally tortured by so many things and again some things that her and her siblings have Consciously or subconsciously put out there, it's just not a good feeling. I know how I feel when an p- unflattering picture of me is even taken. I I can't really wrap my head around what this must be like to be in the public eye. But criticism and compassion can coexist. And so I just want to read a few things. The first is by Caroline Duner, Her handle is at the Fuck It Diet, and there are four tweets I want to read. She starts: "Khloe Kardashian is trying to burn down the internet for sharing an unedited picture of her in a bikini." Her anxiety over people seeing her unedited photos is clearly the result of being ripped apart over and over again for not being pretty or thin enough and not being able to live up to the impossible standards of what women are expected to look like. I have a lot of empathy for the anxiety and hypervigilance that the constant media scrutiny and cruelty has cost her. But the irony is, by only allowing edited photos of herself out there, she's perpetuating the impossible standards that women's bodies are held to, and the cycle continues. And then, at Hey Sean Taylor on TikTok, posted a TikTok and she started by saying the problem with this Chloe Kardashian situation is that you want her to be a villain or a victim and she's both and she's always going to be both. And I think that stuck with me because that was a statement that I th- think carried a lot of truth to it because like nobody should ever be scrutinized in the way that Chloe has been. And I say Chloe specifically because she just does look different than her siblings. She's always been taller. She's always had a different body structure and she has always been really harshly criticized for that, which is why in so many ways she has become this over-editing body dysmorphic machine that she has become. And like, I think that that's such a natural reaction to what she's gone through. That being said, in her response to this, she still, and pretty much all of them are unwilling to acknowledge any of one, the role that they've played, but also any of the surgery they've had done. And the reason that I say that is not because I think every single person who has had plastic surgery needs to disclose it, but you can work really fucking hard for your body every single day and have a million trainers and have a lot of nutritionists and work really hard and then also have plastic surgery. The two things can happen. And the fact that she never, and pretty much none of them ever, ever acknowledge that it's just not fair. At a certain point, you are too famous. You have too large of a platform. You have a hundred, two hundred, two hundred something million followers on Instagram. You owe those young followers, specifically those young women that look up to you. Especially, you, you are the same person. This is the same Chloe, and I adore this woman that was posting flat tummy tea a year ago. At a certain point, you have a responsibility to say, "I work really hard, and I'm, I have been really fucked up by the scrutiny I've experienced." But also, yeah, I've had this stuff done, and I. I want you to recognize that this is not all natural. I do think that at a certain level, that is,
1: I don't want to say required, but that is like the morally sound thing to do. Right. This is such a complicated issue. And I think that there are so many different opinions, so many different feelings, so many different conversations to be had. And none of it is straightforward, none of it is the right answer. And I think also every single person, what they need or what they expect or what they need for their own body or their own feeling is also different. Some people are completely unaffected by this and affected by other things. And some people are affected by this and not by other. And it it so depends on the person and your own view. And you're 100% right. The Kardashians are both the victim and the villain in this situation, but as are so many other people. This isn't just the Kardashian-dominated Uh, problem. And I think a lot of the times it's really easy for us to pretend that it is because it shifts blame or it puts it into one place where we can be like, okay, this is the problem. They play a really small role, but a very impactful role in a much larger, much bigger issue that is bigger than any of them. Like, for example, the fact of the matter is, is all of them grew up in a time where they became the victim of what society standards are. And now we've gotten to a point where we expect them to then grow out of that. And it's not as easy to do. It's a lot of unconscious learning. And there's a part of blame because they are unwilling to do it and they do perpetuate it. But then at the same time, you're looking at them and you're like, but also you're a product of it. Like it's this constant cycle back and forth where it's like, there is no right answer. But Chloe, when she did this, my heart literally broke for her because of what she has gone through and what she continues to have to go through. But again, I was like, you are contributing to this. But then again, there's the conversation of like, okay, should Chloe disclose every single procedure she's had done? Or is that even more damaging? Because then a people can see what procedures they want to get done and maybe think they should get done. Are you then still perpetuating unrealistic beauty standards by saying that you have to change the things you don't like about yourself? Like, I think that a lot of times when we approach this conversation, we approach it in a way that's like, here's what you should and shouldn't be doing. And there is absolutely no right answer here. It is such a complicated, layered conversation that I think is so important to have. And I think it is so important to hear every single person's opinion on because that is the only way to kind of dismantle what's at hand if we approach it like there's just one right answer here it's never going to happen because it is way too complex of an issue
0: completely it is really really complex and it is really really layered and i guess i do separate i'm just making this kardashian centric just for one second i do separate chloe from the rest of them in terms of all of this because she was seriously scrutinized. I mean, we have been watching some of those episodes, the headlines about her were terrible. I mean, imagine your entire life and there's conspiracy theories that there's no way that your dad could have really been your dad because you don't meet the same beauty standards as the rest of your family. Like what does that do to somebody psychologically? So I just, I always think about it in terms of her and how like, I feel like every time we have the conversation about her and her over-editing, it always comes with like, honestly, at the most bottom line, it's just really sad. That's always, I feel like, where we go to. Like, it is just really sad that she feels that she needs to do this because she's never been told that she, as she is, can just exist beautifully.
1: Right, exactly. And it, it is really sad. And then if you're talking about the rest of the family, though, think about the earlier episodes of Kardashians that we were watching where Kim had a photo shoot and... And everyone's telling her, especially Caitlin, who, you know, that was a plotline of one episode that she has to go to the gym and work out before her photo shoot. I mean, it's been ingrained in them. It's been ingrained in all of us in the time that we were growing up. And it's now, thankfully, there is such a big shift in the way we approach this conversation and the way we approach body image. But when you've been conditioned since you were really young to feel a certain way, it's really, really difficult to consciously unlearn that And I know a lot of this, what I'm saying, seems like defending them, and I'm not. I think they play a huge role. I think the Fit T aspect of it is majorly damaging and was incredibly wrong. And I'm glad they stopped doing it because I think none of those ads should be allowed. I think the editing and the over-editing and the inability to let people see natural or to be honest and open about what you've had done is also damaging. I just also believe that they are damaged because of a society that they also grew up in and also have had an impact on. It's not as easy as just saying like, they are the reason and they are wrong and they did this. And now this is the case. They are also a product of that same toxicity that we grew up in as well.
0: Well, people forget it was as little as a few years ago. I mean, like maybe what, five years ago when Kim was on vacation, I think in Mexico. And there was those photos of her in the black thong bikini bottom and like the gray shirt. And she had cellulite on her ass, just like literally everybody else does. And she was ripped apart. Every single headline was Kim Kardashian, cellulite on display, Kim Kardashian, cottage cheese ass. Like it was the meanest shit, which cellulite is literally the most normal thing we all have it yet. It has been made out to be this like terrible thing that you should be ashamed of and embarrassed of, which like I Think we all are actively working in our lives to not be. But Kim spoke about that. She was like, I woke up the next morning and she was like panicked over those photos coming out and what that happened. So, of course, if the entire world is then criticizing you for what was your natural, quote, natural, but body that you're showing, and like if you have the means to smooth it over, you probably are going to. I wish, I deeply wish that we lived in a world, and I hope that when our kids are growing up, they're living in a world where the first reaction to photos of cellulite circulating are not an immediate need to get it taken care of. And that it's like, well, yeah, let's just embrace it because that is the human body, but that's not the reality. It's just like, it's it's, it's, Caroline is so right. It is such a cycle. It is a toxic cycle that continues and continues. And it's such a huge conversation. And I know how triggering it can be for so many people. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to talk about it last week on the bonus show. Like I was processing it myself because it's a lot. I, I, you know, when Chloe wrote that thing in her note about like, we all can relate to that feeling of an unflattering photo. And again, I know I spoke in the beginning about like how so much of that is rooted in this fat phobic thinking, even though sometimes it's just about lighting or how your face looks or whatever it is. Like, I know that. I know panics that I have had when a photo of me has been uploaded that I didn't like and the shockwaves that literally sent through my body, straight up like anxiety attacks over it. And, I hate that I ever let myself get in my head that much, but I did. So I can't
1: pretend to imagine what that's like on a massive scale. I just can't. I can't either. I really, truly can't. And also, I think that aside from the quote, the picture was good being rooted in a very fat phobic thought process or a very body negative thought process. At the end of the day, I think we all still have this issue where we are dictating what other people's good should be. If I hate a picture of myself, I don't need any other person telling me that I look good in it. I don't like it. It's my own view of it. No matter how many people say that's such a great photo of you, my own view of myself is never going to change from that. It's never going to come from outside sources saying like, no, 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 it's fine. And I can imagine that that's exactly how Chloe felt. If Chloe hates that photo of herself, obviously what this turned into was just s- a, a insane blow up over something. But for her to go through that, to hate that photo so much, to create such a spectacle over, it, can you imagine how terrible she felt about that photo?
0: No, that's what I'm saying. Cause clearly all of us sitting here logically and like on a very kind of logistical level, we're like, what the fuck? Like, it's one photo, just let it be. You're making it into so much more of a thing than it ever had to be. But clearly she couldn't see that in the moment. And that I think is what is so scary. That is just shows how damaged, and again, partially because of an environment that her family has helped to create, not but did not create it on their own. So I will not subscribe to that logic because Photoshop and editing has existed far before them. And I was definitely insecure about photos far before I was ever on board, you know, as in as I am with the Kardashians. But like it's, cr- it's really, really powerful when you think about how much pain she must have been in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I cannot even, I can't imagine that being on a massive scale and I can't imagine the amount of pain that she must have been in to have blown this up to what it was that, that literally can only come from such a massive insecurity that I think that there are a lot of people that probably can understand and a lot of people that I hope would be able to even as angry as they are and even as much as they feel that Chloe or the family has perpetuated certain things would be able to sympathize with how awful that feeling must be.
0: Yeah, and and you know what? And some people won't and that's okay. Like I, like I said in the beginning, however you feel about this, you're allowed to feel and you're also opinions are allowed to change and ebb and flow. I think that that's what's great about growth. Like You're not entitled to stick to the same opinions that you had. Um, for me, I just think that... Her- her, her humanity is not, um, lost on me. And it's just the whole, this, I so hope that the world that we bring up our daughters in is so, so different as it applies to body image. It it can't, it can't continue to exist like this. It really can't.
1: No. And I, 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 hope it doesn't. I think we've seen a lot of really positive change. There's a very, very long way to go. Um, and I think what's, each generation will continue to improve and improve. Yeah.
0: I want to just um, end on one note. I definitely have said this before in this podcast. I know I have, but I just want to say it again because I spoke about it on Friday with my therapist and it's always powerful every time she says it to me. So I want to share it with all of you. And this is not something that necessarily everybody would want to subscribe to. It's only really a belief system if it works for you. Some people, it doesn't work like this for them, but you know, something she's always said to me is like, if you can't stop yourself from saying mean things to yourself in the mirror, which obviously the goal is that we should talk to ourselves like we would talk to our friend or we would talk to a little kid with that same level of kindness and compassion. But if that can't get through to you, having the belief of like every time I do that, it's actually I'm taking down all women with me. Sometimes that can be more powerful because you feel like you are it stops individualizing it and it actually makes it feel like it's for the greater good. And so it's like you're building yourself up on behalf of all women, which is something that can be helpful. So I just always want to share that. Um, but listen, you're not alone. We all struggle with this shit. You know how much I love talking about this. Um, Cause I think it's never ever talked about enough. Just never.
1: Yeah, of course. I so agree. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. I mean, obviously we could talk about this for so long and there's a million things to say, but I, I think that's, productive conversation that we've had a little bit to start it off. Yeah. I think so too.
0: Okay. Well, we love you guys so much. I think this episode will probably, yeah, actually definitely it's going to go up on Tuesday and that's nobody's, well, it's not really my fault. I was just really sick this morning. Not your fault. I, I just felt, I just, I know. I, I love you for being so calming. So thank you. And we love you guys. Julie and I will see you on Thursday for the Kardashian bonus show. And Isabel and I will see you for comments by Bravo on Friday. We love you. Thank you so much for listening.